much on there is to be no working. We are now recording a podcast. But I have way too much to do. <laughs> you and me both. I'll be, as I worked all through Thanksgiving, I'll be working all through Christmas, all through New Year's. Well, work is the gift that keeps on giving, right? It, it apparently is. Got to pay for all those G.I. Joes with the Kung Fu grip that you're giving your kids. I've, I've, uh, it's some of it's my fault though. I've managed some things wrong and by managed some things, I've, I've managed some people wrong and some expectations. Mm. So it's so, all your fault. It's always all my fault, John. I've only got one person to blame for my oh, okay. stuff. Well, no, technically I have the prior devs to blame, but it, I own it. So yep. I have to, I have to take responsibility for their mistakes. <laughs> Just fun. <laughs> right. Well, so you and I were chatting just briefly earlier um, that this, what is today? Today's the 18th, December 18th. So this will probably be our last show of the year. Why do you say probably? Well, just in case, I don't know. For some reason, we <laughs> just want to little, call me up, a little tease. Call me up in the middle of the night, wake with, a, with a, <laughs> just sweating and everything. Like, I've got this great thing. We yeah. have to talk about it now. <laughs> I've had visions. Yeah. Meet me at the underpass. <laughs> um. But anyway, uh, because we normally do like a little um, kind of end of year show where we do some predictions and look at previous year's predictions and that kind of stuff. But it probably will be the first show of the new year where we do that, right? Is what we're saying. Right. Because that'll be, yeah, because the way all the dates fall, apparently it falls, the first falls on the, our next recording session. Yep. And, oh, well, what would, yeah, on a Wednesday, which is our normal right. yeah, recording day. And then also just, you know, in general, in the new year, we've got, I think we've got some interesting things. I don't even know if I fully discussed these with you, but we've got, um, we're going to have some special shows more, probably a few more shows with guests. Um, so that's in the, in the works. And then I'm, <clears throat> well, you and I need to discuss this, but I still want to um, figure out how we can do like an occasional show where um, we just get uh, like basically, you know, any community members can join in the show live and be on the, you know, be in the recording and everything. And I don't know if that would be like a Google Hangouts or one of those, one of those types of things. So more of a guest format, not interview format. It's more of a gang format. Just, and, and, <laughs> and we'll have to, we'll have to like, um, manage it somehow so that it's not too many voices and people because I, it could, especially with delays as are common on the lovely internet audio, you know, latency delays that could get difficult. So we'll just have to. Oh, so multiple. So you uh, want to set yeah, up yeah. like a, a panel. Exactly. Like it just, I mean, we set up yeah. like literally a room that anyone can just join in and jump on the, on the show. Right. It, could, it could be dangerous, but could be <laughs> anyway. Could be. So yeah, we'll, um, I think, I don't know. I just feel like we've got, we've got some plans for some, some, something a little less monotonous than you and I just jacking our jaws every time. So be on the lookout for that. I have a um I have a question for you. And this I don't know if you saw I, I think I posted something on the Slack earlier this week. Um but it was about what was I doing? I can't remember if I was loading data or doing something, but I was getting um you know some kind of exception and I go and look at it and it's um <clears throat> the stack trace basically it it's I guess I guess there's some kind of um some kind of managed code, or maybe it was a managed trigger or something. Mm -hmm. Um and so you could see it in logs, you know, it would say entering managed package, right? And then, yep. and then after that, I just get, you get nothing. I get like the, you know, not, but, but I even, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> oops. You lose. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I definitely lose uh, because the log just and it has these weird symbols too. It says entering manage package, and then it's like it's like a colon and some parentheses with nothing in them and some brackets, and it almost looks like emoji. The log, log's doing some kind of emojis at me or something. I can't really tell. But it's not your managed package. No, right? it's not mine. But the offending code ended up being unmanaged code. But it was. It was, um, but it triggered inside of the managed. Yes, package. yeah, yeah. It's because you know, so the managed package was probably doing some kind of DML, which was kicking off like an unmanaged trigger, I think, which was ultimately the what was then causing the the exception. But I, I, you can't see that in the logs anywhere. And and what I'm, I guess, my question for you is, I understand the entering managed package, but once it gets to when when that managed package then triggers. Unmanaged code. Why doesn't? Why don't I get the logs for that? I thought you did. I, th I did too. Now I'm trying to think if if that's true or not. Maybe not. Yeah. I oh, mean, no, I thought you could. I thought you did because I thought you could see your entry in the managed package. You would see things that I thought you could see things that occurred that were not managed, and then you would see if, the exit of the managed. Yeah. I mean, once it. Okay. So what I was saying is, once it exited the whole managed package, you know. Um, stack, mm -hmm. then you would see code again, except in this case there was no more code because it was, once once you entered exception. managed package, it was somewhere in the depths of that thing, there was an exception being thrown. But it was being thrown by unmanaged, and you, so once it entered the managed package, you you couldn't see, you couldn't see even unmanaged uh, logging activity until it, until that whole stack pops all the way back up to where it entered the managed package. You know, then after that, you would you could see logs. Hmm. So it was a, just a lot of process of elimination. This this is the kind of crap that just makes me want to leave this platform. Just I mean, it, logging forever still has has always been a problem. It's still a problem. I mean, it's got, it's gotten better. I mean, just in terms of like the limits are higher. Got, well, okay, the limit, limits have gotten higher. In the context of logging, it has not gotten better. It's been the same for forever. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, good logging right. tools. No, yeah, there's not. I mean, there's no. I mean, like a typical application, like, you know, um, let's say you're running something on Heroku or AWS or whatever, you can set up like a, I mean, there's all kinds of tooling around there, uh, around just monitoring your application's output, its log, and, you know, it surfaces things and runs in, and has intelligence and you, you get metrics based on your application from its, from its log. Oh, you can get that from Salesforce. No, you can't because you can't get, you can't get a log. I mean, you get a log for a minute. No, you just got to pay extra for the monitoring tools. What monitoring tools? That comes with, um, uh, what's it called? Safe, secure, shield, shield. Oh, you can just get on just like nonstop logs. I mean, because I don't know if you can get on stop logs, but it has monitoring tools. It's supposed to monitor stuff that's happening. I haven't gotten too yeah, much. Yeah, but into again, the again, side it, of the way that the way that the real world works is you use any number of either open source or and or commercial. Yeah. Um, you know, everything from just kind of log aggregation and monitoring tools up to like full on APM suites, and they all work on log output. Or I mean, that's one of the that's one of the main you know, inputs into the system is, is your, is your system, is your application's output. And so what's you the, just can't get that with Salesforce. What's the ideal scenario though? Cause I think some of the issue is just protecting someone's IP. So you have a managed package. You obviously don't want to start logging all the stuff that they're doing and exposing that. And what's the, I mean, I don't know. Well, for, well, so that's, an, that's another problem. I mean, the, the, the first problem is I just, you can't get a log. I mean, you can get a log for a minute or you can set it. Well, how long does it let you have a log for an hour and for one user at a time or whatever, or for one class at a time, you know, you have to pick like what the context of the log is. You have to mm -hmm. pick a user or a class or something. You can't just get like, Hey, I want just like my entire application's log streaming output. 
and don't stop. Don't stop logging my application's output. Don't ever stop. And and maybe you know I could I could see how for a while like maybe after thirty days or some at some limit they they truncated or something. Hey, you get like hey you got to get the you got to download these logs and use them before we because eventually we're going to truncate it or maybe it's a you know monthly it, it rolls over or something and, and compresses to I mean, that's the way you, like typically you'll do log files is you know they they either roll over it like on a on some kind of time boundary or um once it hits a, a size your log hits a, a size threshold and then it just gets like gzipped and sent off to cheap storage or something you know somewhere i mean they could do they could do something like that and it and then you can have real monitoring i mean right now how do you know when something's going wrong or how do you how do you measure the how do you measure performance how do you know when stuff's getting slow especially if you have if you're running commerce on salesforce stuff if you have salesforce sites or any of these other things i mean what i mean you you know you start to get i mean because typically these these um in these application monitoring things i mean they're looking for increased um percentage of 404s or 500s um yeah, but that's or they're or, or they're keying on specific things in log files. sure we do just because just because we can't manage it doesn't mean it's not important to manage. What do you do? Wait for trust to show something? We know how the well that works. I know, but I mean, the, if you the, actually care, it, if you actually care how well your website's working, how well your commerce and everything's going, then you need to be in control of that because you can't wait for trust to say something. Well, I mean, knowing is one thing, but there's nothing you can do about it. You can pick up the phone. Sure. And then what? I don't know. You but, get put into a queue just but, like everybody else. But knowing is knowing is the first step. But anyway, I mean, let's say it's let's say it's not performance. It's just it's um you know it's errors and things. I mean, you want to be you want to know. I mean, what what's the current? What do you what do you do right now to say you know if your if your um percentage of of you know five hundreds goes up or your you know percentage of like unhandled exceptions starts to spike for some reason? You know, you like you'd want to know about that, right? What do you, how do you know about that now? Well, you can't know about that. Well, you, you can get the uh, what's the apex. System-wide Apex error emails or whatever. You know, you can put sure. yourself in that list. Yeah, but that's about but it. That's the email, you, you, right? I you mean, don't control access to that domain, so you can't really do anything. What do you mean by you don't have control? So, if you're talking about a public site, Salesforce owns that. I mean, you. I mean, you have your. You used to get emails, right? If if something like if if, if something if there's an unhandled exception, right? Yeah. yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I don't know it's just still really limited, and you know, I don't know. It it is, but it's a bit of a dance because there's certain things that. That you just can't control. You have to wait for them to, to resolve. Yeah. Um, and there's, I mean, knowing, yes, I agree, knowing is good, but at the same time, what yeah, are you going to do? Right, the, right. There's a whole class of things that you you don't control. But there Maybe are things. That's, that's why. There because, are things, there are things you do control. As long as you don't know that no. that was an issue, you have no nothing to complain well, about. The last things you do control, let's say your product manager creates a, a product, a new product, and he, they didn't set something up right on the product, and it's causing it's causing unhandled exceptions in your store, right? Yeah. That's something you can fix. But you got to know about it first, John. And and again, you, well, they have the email thing. They have the more email. elegant handling of errors, which we don't have. I mean, logging is one thing, and that requires someone smart who understands logs to sit there and go through and read them and know what what they're seeing and what to ignore and what not to ignore but i mean in that scenario that really comes down to handling errors in a, in a more elegant way in a way that can it if if it can derive what the fix is to to let the user know how to fix it or and if it can't then to log it somewhere and oh, send well, notifications sure. That's, you're, you're talking about ideal like, like your system doesn't have any bugs of course it has bugs you know and when stuff goes wrong and, and it's something you didn't plan for and you're not handling well, 
the first step to actually handling that well is to know when it happens. And again, if it's if you if it's something that you know all of a sudden um, something has gone wrong and it's just like all your users are getting, um, you know, errors in production, then that's something you'd want to you know you'd want your log monitoring tool to you know your pager duty for example or whatever it is you're using to like to to notify hey you know shit is hitting the fan here like and then you, know, you can go look again you know Salesforce does have the email thing so if we're talking about just unhandled exceptions you'll you'll get emails for those but you know now we're talking about hooking things up to monitoring a, an inbox and and somehow and you can't i don't know if you can really plug that into any of these um any of these tools but yeah, I guess I can see your point. I mean, there, there are things that happen that a user says, I got this error. They've got a screenshot to prove it, but you have no way of reproducing it. Mm. No, that, that's, so, that's even a better scenario. The yeah. worst scenario is your customer, like, let's say you, again, let's say you have a, a site where you're, you know, you may be, you may be doing commerce or maybe something and you're just, you're, you're serving some other application that to important constituents. The worst is when people don't email, they're just like, oh, this is just not working. I'm going to go somewhere else or I'm going to do, you know, I'm not going to do this. And you need, no one emails you about it. No one's reaching out to you with screenshots. That's well, that's what's bad. Well, that's always going to be bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that beyond that, if even if someone does send you an email and they have a screenshot to prove that er- an error happened, mm-hmm. you don't know what conditions created that error sometimes. Sometimes you just cannot reproduce that issue no matter what. And you can try to scramble around and try to find something. Um but it's tough because you don't well, always, because the best practice, or at least the proper practice is you don't display, you don't throw the GAC at your user. You put a friendly message, say, hey, something happened, right. contact your yeah. administrator, mm-hmm. let them know. But, but if you don't have the actual but what trace if, for that. Oh, yeah. If you don't have, but what if in, in your logs or, you know, you, you'll get the email. If they're getting unhandled exceptions, you'll, you'll get an email with the full stack trace as the administrator. Who Not is, always. Well, you should if you've got yourself set as, the, you know, receiving Apex error emails. But not all errors are unhandled, but they're. They're errors. Okay, so you're saying you've you know you've the, caught you have okay. your you do your you have all your public methods that you know are public facing and you do your try catch. Well, what are you, you, what are you when you're catching? What are you doing with that error? Then that's your fault if you're not doing something correct with that. Well, what are you supposed to do with it? Put Aren't it, you supposed to rely on the system to log it and go back and look at it, or are you supposed to supplement the log and create a table that's got thousands of records and do bingo, an insert every bingo. time? Bingo. That's that's. And then that's, what happens if the insert fails because the error is some bingo, issue? Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And cause, well, I've gone down that road, yeah. and I, I'm avoiding it right now because I do have to figure out how I'm going to handle errors. I and- guess platform events might be better because the problem with inserting, like, because the most common pattern I see, and Salesforce does this with a lot of their uh, managed packages and things, is um, they'll have like an errors custom object where they'll put mm-hmm. errors into. But if your transaction rolls back, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> yeah, your error doesn't get logged. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's you know, again, if you're if you're if you've got like top level, you know, exception handlers, then I guess in your finally or in your catch or whatever, you can, um, you can then insert your log sure. message and, and hope that it, it goes through. But platform events may be better because they are, you can choose to have them out. You know, they're typically they're outside of, um, uh, what do you call them? Transactions. True, but now, but but now, now, you now you're getting into you, <laughs> it's getting cut. It's still, it's still not a good way to secure your application because <laughs> right. now you're now you're logging somewhere accessible to an admin or potentially to a user. Platform events, sure, they're just like public. No, I mean, they're they're not public. You can't just like see them as a user. As an admin, you can. Well, you're an admin. You can see everything. <laughs> well, okay, so I, I just got to be careful not to expose my my. Custom IP algorithm that got logged into the da- into the error log. Well, that's time. true. That's listen. Um, log 
many many a uh, um, breaches or or you know data uh, breaches have occurred due to what shows up in log files. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been some famous things of um, who uh, I can't remember and probably shouldn't name them anyway. But there's some big company that uh, that was logging uh, passwords. So every time you went go to log in, you're they were logging a bunch of information about your login request to to log, including your password. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, logs can be a de- a huge uh, security vector. Yeah. So you got to be careful what you log. That's for sure. Yeah, it's not an easy problem to solve. Yes, it's, I, you it's, know, it's, I go back and forth because the Salesforce community in general. I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't say it like this. Having seen what I've seen by other developers that were less experienced, I mean, novice. I mean, truly novice, yet they're getting charged. They, they get paid like 250 an hour, or they charge customers 250 an hour for their novice work. They do some really dumb stuff and insecure stuff, and I just don't understand it. And so it's, it's times like that where I go, okay, Salesforce, I get it. I know why you're doing this, because there's a lot of idiots like this guy right here who wrote this piece of code out there, and they don't care. They got paid for their lines of code, yeah. and they've moved on. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, can get, I can understand that. No, and At the ma- same time, and- we have those of us that are trying to get stuff done, trying to do some more advanced stuff, trying to make our lives a little bit easier and being able to troubleshoot and, and you know, satisfy our customers with our, whatever SLA we may or may not have with them on our product. I mean, that's, and it's really difficult for us from that perspective. <clears throat> yep it is i mean i essentially have to log into a client's machine or to the not machine but to their instance and start running logs and start trying to do stuff in a production environment to get it to happen yeah i mean what's what's the state of um supposedly you know isvs can get you should be getting logs right if if there are unhandled exceptions that happens a part of your app don't you I swear it even yeah. says like sometimes like we've notified the we've notified the you know this app exchange vendor or whatever. Right, but that only happens on unhandled exceptions. Right. So if you have if you've written all your front facing interfaces to have exception handlers mm-hmm. and you're just logging to the log, you don't get that email. You have to basically log in and get it to reproduce. Or maybe maybe that's a fallacy. Maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Maybe I should just let it throw a gag. But then now I can't handle the message to the user. Do I rethrow it? What what do I do? Yeah, I don't know. It's been so long since I've since I've actually built an an app that went on the App Exchange, <clears throat> you know, from the ground up or anything. That I, I've I've forgotten how I even approached the problem of, you know, when someone's using your managed app, um, they can easily. I mean, just just making certain fields required on standard objects and things like that can completely break your app, right? If you don't account for it, yes. But how could you account for it? It's 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 in a customer's, it's in the installer's org. They make some, let's say you have an app and it, you know, it creates account, accounts or something. Mm-hmm. And they make some field required on account that is not a standard thing to do. Mm-hmm. When your app goes to try to create an account, now it's going to fail. True, and it'll throw an error. Well, I mean, it'll throw an error when you do the DML operation. And I'm, you either show that exact right. DML error to the user or you say, hey, I can't create this. Um, for some reason, <laughs> and I'm just I'm just talking more just in general. How do you build apps that that work in customers' orgs where it's the wild west? With so I like that. well in that particular scenario, if you want to know, I have a a function in a utility class that strips inaccessible values or fields. So if you can't update a field or you can't change a field, it'll remove it. Now it doesn't handle like nulls or things like that if you have a required field, but 
if the user is not supposed to be able to update something or anything like that, that protects the, it basically gives you that same context that you have with visual force where it kind of strips out the stuff the user can't see mm-hmm. and prevents them from inserting and updating on a standard controller. It's basically that. Yeah. And that's kind of what you're supposed to be doing. And Salesforce has in pilot a feature called um, strip inaccessible character or strict, strict strip fields or strip inaccessible. inaccessible. Yeah, that, they have both those methods. I think that goes... I think I saw that's GA now, or it's at least in the release. Maybe notes. in the next release. It was yeah. pilot or beta or something. I think it's beta. In the last, this current release that we're on, the yeah. next release, I think it does go GA. Um, but I basically modeled my security model after those methods, um, and I can't wait for it to come out so that I can replace my well, methods with it. So I still, I still feel like I haven't got to the crux of this. So let's, so let's say I have an app that, you know, that automatically creates, you know, follow-up tasks or something. That's, like, that's a common thing you see mm-hmm. in a lot of apps that do that. But let's say that, um, you know, uh, I've got a customer who's installed it, and, but they have a required field on task that, you know, that's, uh, you, you know, you have to complete. Um, they've set it as required. Um, how does my app deal with that? How, does, how would it know that some random field has been set to required? How, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how does, how does my app even work in that org? It, do, it doesn't in that case. I mean, a lot of times you have to kind of, build into it some way to either map data to fields so that the admin can somehow okay. modify that. Yeah. Um, or what's another way around that? Or the admin has to secure things a different way. They have to secure it like at the page layout level. Say yeah. this is required at the page layout level, but not at the database level or meaning at the object level. Yep. This is just the, the interesting, interesting part about the, how <laughs> just this whole model. And that's the other thing. I mean, model. we, you write these apps and you write them and you have all these features for admins to be able to kind of turn and toggle switches. But I often ignore the fact that not all admins are super admins or, you know, despite all the trailblazing, the rah-rah, they're not that into it. It's just another part of their job. And I have to consider that, okay, yes, you can go into the object and you can change this sharing field or you can do it at this level or that level, but the admin's not going to know how to do that. Yeah. I have to either mm. build some simple way for them to do that or write a lot of instructions on how to do that. And it's, so that's, when you, it's, that's when you sell consulting time, John. Do it for him. <sighs> not supposed to. <laughs> ISV vendor, not a consultancy. I know. I the, whole, the whole idea of being an ISV is to get out of that business, right? Hours for dollars? Uh, no, not necessarily. I heard an argument that says that you kind of do want services because if you're SaaS model and you're, you have your revenue, your rev rec mm-hmm. going on, if you have services, sometimes, and it's built into your subscription, you can start recognizing revenue oh, sooner. okay. You attach it to the service, yeah. probably. So you can start re- recognizing more revenue <laughs> yep. rather than waiting for the clock to tick and go, okay, there's my next 10 bucks. Right. There's my next 10 bucks. Yep, no, I can see that. <laughs> Makes sense. <clears throat> All right. Well, anyway, that's enough about logs. I just, it's an ongoing thing that I'm, it's, how long have I been working with Salesforce? 17 years, and I still don't, I still don't understand. <laughs> well, it goes along the lines of just, securing your application and trying to build it in a way that isn't crap but like i'm running into this thing and i, and I mentioned i want to talk about this so i'll segue into it and it's it's i remember we talked about it a long time ago i said that they're storing a bunch of stuff in the database but they're storing it like as a full json and all that kind of stuff they're, they're tunneling uh yeah json data inside like a text field or something yeah, yeah. and they're parsing it in now and i how i didn't like that because it just it means you would parse it and if you ever want to change your versioning now you have the string you have to change and I ran into another issue, and this is with, they have this custom list view UI component. And it stores the user's filters. The, from the front end UI, it, it's, 
uh, pretty close to the what to what Salesforce offers. You can select fields, you can add filters, and depending on what type of field you select for filtering, it'll give you the proper input. So from that perspective, it's actually kind of kind of okay. But what happens is they actually build a query string on the front end on the client side and pass that back to the server side, and that's what gets stored into the database. So now in the database, I have this query string. Actually, a partial query so string. So the client builds a query string and oh, sends it back dumb. to the server? It's dumb. <laughs> when, whenever you pick a query, it actually gets from the server a mask, and that mask tells it how to build the query string, and the client, the JavaScript builds this snippet of a query of the where clause and sends that back to the server to build. It's stupid. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> stupid for a number of reasons because there's no way to validate this from a security perspective, I can't validate it coming in because I can't just run escape single quotes on it because there's valid single quotes in it. So I can't run escape single quotes. So I have to let it go into the database. And you really want that anyways, because you don't want to assume that you don't want to validate before you put it in the database. You want to validate when it comes out of the database in this particular scenario. Okay. Because um, someone could potentially from a security perspective, just create a record with a SQL in injection hack in the record. And because you're trusting that it went in clean, you're not trusting that it came out clean. So how you have to start. How, how do you create a record with SQL? I'm, I'm confused about that. Right I, and actually, the, the, no. What I'm saying is, you have this view, and it's got the the where clause string, and that mm -hmm. got stored into a database because right. someone because we inserted it. Mm -hmm. Well, someone with a you know separate tool or an API access could create a new record in that with a bunch of whatever they wanted. Oh, like a different query, you mean? Yeah. Oh, okay. But but still. Um, and unless you're just rolling your own security and not, you know, they're still not gonna be able to see records they shouldn't have access to see. Oh, they could. They could modify the query and, and have it expose records. Uh, but other people's da data they're not supposed to see? No, I mean, not like other orgs, but just other data they're not supposed to see. Like their records, but just records that wouldn't make sense to show at that point right. in the app. Okay. Yeah. okay. It's still <clears throat> considered an injection. It's still considered, you know, a security hole because it can be done. I've, I've often wondered about that. And I don't know what, because again, because I haven't been through this whole thing, but I, I don't know what Salesforce's um, position is on like SQL injection. And I've wondered like, how is SQL injection even really a, a, a serious problem? Because let's say a couple of things here. Number one, you can't really, you can't do, SQL does not have DML like SQL does. There's no insert statement. There's no update statement. Mm -hmm. There's no delete statement. Sure. In SQL, right? And also, I mean, the other the other you know type of thing you see is you know someone tries to like uh, f you know fill out a, a web form or whatever, and they they put in like a, a quotation mark and then like drop database or whatever, and, you know, to try to, <laughs> to mm -hmm. if if they haven't if they're not escaping things correctly, you know, they'll just drop. You can get someone to drop their whole database, right? Well, SQL doesn't have that either, right? So what's the real security issue with just, I mean, what's wrong with letting a user just, hey, provide their own SQL query? I mean, what, how much damage could they possibly do? Again, assuming you're not doing dumb things with security, you still have to set up your security right. I mean, profiles, all that stuff, it all, it all still matters. Mm -hmm. So what, so again, the, what is so bad about? The issue is, is we can bypass. It's not like I can see other orgs data or anything like that, or I can delete data. You're, mm -hmm. you're correct on that. But I could see if I'm a user and I'm restricted, maybe I'm a, Maybe I'm a temp or I'm an intern and I can only see one snippet of an, of an org's data from a certain level. Yep. Whatever. <clears throat> but if I'm able to inject a, a script into it, then I can see the entire org's data because I can somehow. So, so they didn't, they don't string. have their, their org-wide sharing set up? Is that it doesn't matter because if you're, if you have custom code and you're, you're taking that query and you're executing it, 
technically from Apex, you're in system context. And okay. if you don't have with sharing set up correctly, well, okay. or the there, other thing it doesn't yep. protect is protect against is field level security. It protects from record access security. So I can say, I can do a query and I have with sharing enabled and I can pull all the data within the context of the current user. Right. But what it doesn't stop is the, the field level security side of things. So I'll still get back all the, th all the fields I don't have access to with the idea that I'm supposed to build from a code server side perspective, I'm supposed to be able to see that data, manipulate it, and then produce results back to the user. So you're supposed to strip those out before you present that data to the user. Yeah, okay. Because um, remember, you know, Salesforce has CRUD APIs exposed to users, right? So if they're logged in, they can just grab their session ID and start doing queries against sell the... Which is why you're still supposed to be able to... Which is why you're supposed to have your... Um, your admin's supposed to secure the system properly. Exactly. And then that's my point. Like, you still have to secure things properly. It's, you know, if someone, if someone is able to send their own query to some, or inject their own query into your system because you're not, you're not escaping things correctly, you have some kind of injection vulnerability, um, and they're able to, like, access records and things they shouldn't be able to, then you just don't have things set up right. Um, but because or even you've because even if you custom that, even if that you, accidentally exposes it because even if you closed your injection problem, again they can still Salesforce has just direct CRUD APIs that as long as they as long as they're logged in they get a, they got a session they can hit these CRUD APIs and just send the query directly to to the REST API. So yes. you still have to have security. You still have to be using profiles and and well, org wide sharing and all that stuff. Correctly. You do, and you can t you can say that users don't have API access in that perspective, and then. You're fine. How do you do? Oh, is that a, is that a profile level saying uh, the, turning off? I think it's a profile. It could be a permission set as well. Okay, I believe. But yeah, um, you know, a lot of times you need them to have. I mean, you you actually want to leverage that. I mean, I, I write a lot of apps that just it's directly against the Salesforce's REST API. Yeah, am I wrong in that? Is it API only? Th it's a checkbox for API only. I think you like can. That? I think you're right. I think you can turn off API. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to remember what the <clears throat> exact. It, whether it's either you can only use the API or you, you can't use the API. I forgot which one it is, but but with the REST API, you know, you you don't have the problem of um, exposing fields they shouldn't have access to because the REST API does enforce. It's not it doesn't run in system mode. It's running in that users because again you have to have a session ID mm -hmm. with o, OAuth and all that or OLAF as some people call it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I start using that <laughs> OLAF. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, it, it's going through, um, it's not going through system mode or whatever. It's, uh, it's doing a query and Salesforce is only going to return them fields that they have access to. Yeah. Unlike Apex controllers and triggers. Right. Which if you don't say, well, actually, even with, uh, with sharing, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't strip the fields out. They, they don't have access to that's right. at least not yet. Unless you. Unless you're uh, in I mean, the pilot program for that. <laughs> for I mean, that. I think they're giving us better tools coming up with that strip inaccessible option. Um, you still have to run, depending on what you're doing, you still have to run. Even though, even though wish sharing should take care of it, they still want you to do it. They still want you to validate whether or not they have access to either create, update, or delete um, when you're, when you're taking input from the user. What's the point of that? I don't know, but it's in the requirements, and I've gotten dinged for it on the review, so... It's something I have to make sure happens that I at least call that. That's weird. I don't understand that at all. I don't either. I mean, I understand stripping the fields, but, yeah, right. but validating access, I'm not sure why. I think they're just really concerned that 
previous versions of Salesforce didn't really enforce the with sharing and the sharing very well. And even like the default templates when you create a class is kind of open. It's just generic inherited. And so you don't really know what context you're in. And even I think lightning to controller was always system context. I think until recently, hmm. um, I think it was a few releases ago where they made the change that it was always with sharing or you had, it was required or something like that. But I think before it wasn't really clear and it was system context. And so it was just this gap, the security hole. So I think they're just trying to enforce better practices with everyone to really think about it and force them to think about it by making this requirement. I can't, Otherwise, I'm not sure why, because it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I don't, I still don't get that. And also, it doesn't make sense from a hierarchy perspective. If I have a controller, an Apex controller to my component or my Visual Force page or whatever, ideally, that would just be a, a bunch of API functions that are empty, aside from some basic error handling and a call out to a business logic class or something that actually does all the work. Mm -hmm. And so, I guess that, I don't know if they're watching the, the, the stack trace to see if input came in, went to this other class, a DML operation happened, but you didn't call this method before you did the DML, if that's the way it works. I'm thinking that's the way it works. I'm sure they've got, you know, just automated tools that can check. Because otherwise, it wouldn't be able to just go to the, con and say, okay, this class is, is consumed from the front interface. Are there any calls to this method? That would be a fail. And I just don't think that would work. So they have to be walking the, the code. Yeah, I mean, it's another benefit of, of Apex being a static language. They can just yeah. do static an analysis of all your code and check for all those types of things. Yeah. I still don't know why. I still don't know why you have to check to make sure a user should have access to a record because uh, it should throw an error. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and even the way I the way I validate it, it still throws an error. So either I had the requirement wrong or I misread the requirement. Well, but wouldn't how did wouldn't throw an error? It's just that no, I you, throw an error. Just, oh, just to make sure it gets thrown. But how would you ever see that? Because if you, I mean, isn't by definition of user doesn't if you're you know in a with sharing context. And you do a query, you're never going to get a record back that once you check, that make sure no, that. No, but you could be creating a, or attempting to create a record on an object you don't have access to. Right. But, but again, that's going to fail with too. With sharing right? should, catch, uh, yeah, should catch that yeah. too. So well, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't, maybe actually with sharing, does it have, that doesn't cover creation. That's a different thing. Does it? Or maybe it does, actually. That, no, with sharing that. doesn't, but I think your ability to create a record essentially be the created by on a record gets run through security and it throws an error either okay. way. Hmm, that's... Actually, I'm not sure about oh, that. I could be wrong. Yeah, no, the system context so maybe, lets you create records that okay. you don't have access to. Maybe that's, maybe that's what it is. Even yeah. if you're in with sharing. But, see, I don't know. How like I said, I think it's a best practice yeah. and I think just because it's so easy to flip it out of the wrong context. Maybe so, yeah. Or if you're in inherited mode, you don't... You're, you may or may not inherit from a class that has system context versus user context and it, i mean it's yeah it's 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 as with security with anything it's just it's just hedging your bets it's it's you're either really defensive or you're too loose and you have security holes i mean uh -huh. everything is is an is an interpretation of of attack vectors i mean like like what the point i was trying to get to was storing the the query as a query string is i don't have a way of escaping invalid character or escaping the single quotes which is a, how you do the injection on SQL. so i can't rely on and I can't say I checked it before I put it in the database because someone could create a record outside of my normal flow, which means I have to check it on the way out. And I can't check it on both because going in, if I check it and escape it, then that means I can't take it out and escape it because I'll double escape, Yeah, which doesn't work. I've <clears throat> accidentally done that. So I, now I just have to make sure I check it when I escape. Well, if it's a single string, I can't, 
I can't escape those characters because it's already pre-built and there's no way for me to escape it. So I have to make sure that if I'm going to store it, I have to break apart all the pieces. I have to store the field that, that, that's on the query separately. I have to store the operator separately. I have to store the value or values separately. Um, so it's, it's just one of those things you have to think about whenever you're creating these things in order to be able to validate it when it comes out. I think the most common practice is escaping on the way out. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. Is to escape it when you're about to, ex- to use it, to consume it, to because execute it. if you do that, then even if bad stuff somehow gets in the system, it, it doesn't get out of the system. Right. And, and you're assuming that if you're escaping on the way in, then once everything's in the system in a database or whatever you're persisting things in, like you're assuming that everything in there is good and safe. And that's just probably not a right. good assumption. So. Now, if you're smart, if you know enough about the data coming in, then you can validate it before you put it in the database, but you still need to validate coming out of the database. Yeah. Yeah. So you could, if you had some way of recognizing the injection, you could say, hey, can't do that. Change your value. But most of the time, you probably won't be able to. So it's better just to let it sit why, there. And So why do you uh, need to escape quotes on Sockwell? Because you can inject it. You can inject it. You can have like a, I don't know, ID. So if, so if you're so like on the server, if you're building like a, a query or something from user-provided data, is that what you're saying? Well, the, the biggest example is someone is when you're using dynamic Sockwell and you're building your query string. and but, I don't right. know, even, mm-hmm. even with search strings, you have to make sure to mm-hmm. escape those because someone could type in a search string and inject SQL into it and get either get data or not get enough data. I mean, okay. there's just things you could do. Yeah. Again, it's, it's really low risk right. in the grand scheme of things because we don't have lo- all Compared those Compared to SQL, it's very low risk. Right, right? Yeah. exactly. But <clears throat> still, I mean, it's, yeah. it's all part of building a secure system. Yep. I just, you know, when you see code that's littered with security checks, it, the problem is that in and of itself creates risky code because... Um, you've got business and data access logic intermixed with security logic, and it just makes the code harder to read. I mean, which in, in and of itself is a security problem. Yes, but I think there's also a wrong way to do that. Well, there's always a wrong way to do everything. But one another part that I noticed that the, the previous developers did, and I don't fault them for it because I've been tempted to do this as well. That's okay. <clears> you can fault them for it. Well, I'm saying I'm included in the fault. Okay. <laughs> it comes with experience. A lot of things come from experience. And so some things I see and go, okay, I see why you did that. Cause I've been tempted to do that as well, or I have done that as well. And so a lot of this, this stuff just comes from experience, but so they had these objects that would build the query and do the validation automatically, okay. or they would have some flag that did the validation. I think that's too much mixed in. I think it should just know a, a a string builder or a query builder should just know how to build a string, should just know how to build a query. That's it. Mm. If you want to add security on top of it, then you do that with another call to another function because I think that's just cleaner. And yeah. It's, it, yeah. Everything's isolated in terms of... <clears throat> and you can make the decision on whether or not you want to validate that query or not. The other part is it's really tempted because you're writing the same code every time and that is create your own wrapper methods to do insert, update, create, delete, and all that kind of stuff. And it runs across the same problem is you end up getting dependent on this one class to do all your inserts, all your updates, and then it ends up getting bastardized and used in other places where it doesn't have to be. And so I've, I've also made that separation that, you know, I'm not going to create some utility updater class. I'm going to let all the things that normally happen, but I'm just going to validate before I send that data to the delete method or create method or update method. Because if you're going to do it right, how many methods you have to override? You have uh, three, four, eight to override an insert and in, individually. So eight times, however many of these are insert, update, delete, upsert, at least four each. 
Mm. So four, four by however many that is. For you know, like a per object basis, you mean? If you're going to have parity with the <clears throat> original method, because you have you can you can send it an object, you can send it a uh, a list. Actually, it's more than that. You can send an object, you can send it a list, you can send it a all of those, both of those with all or none, or yeah, all or none. So that's six, right? Yeah. Six or seven. And then if you're talking upsert, you also have to be able to pass in the field. Mm. Or not pass the field. Yeah. Oh, that doesn't sound fun. Um, let's talk about something fun. That wasn't fun? No, I, was, I mean, I'm just saying that kind of coding sounds like something that would make me want to <laughs> change professions. <clears throat> it would be nice if we could over if we could inherit or extend some of these base classes like the S object stuff and build in some of that stuff into it. Well, maybe entity interfaces will allow you to do that, John. I don't know. Although From don't what you're telling so. me, it's, it's so. not what I'm hoping <laughs> yeah. for. Although I am planning on abstracting out a lot of my object level classes into what I'm calling entity objects. I don't know why, but I've been wanting to do that and experiment with that for a while. I just, I don't know. I guess the renewed interest in entity just made me revisit it. So I don't know. Hmm. I may go down a path I don't want to and crash and burn, but we'll see. Well, uh, did you see that Oracle has decided to move its big annual conference to San, to, from San Francisco to Las Vegas. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder where they got that idea from. <laughs> Who else moved to Vegas? Some, somebody um, else? Um, I mean, I don't... Well, CES is in Vegas, right? It's got to be, right? And I think a lot of the yeah. new gaming conventions are in, C, are in Vegas now. Hey, here's... Uh, like they used to be in San Diego or something. Here's aging myself. Do you remember going to Comdex? Did you ever go to Comdex? No. Oh, no. <laughs> I was, I was, was a that young, in Vegas? I was a young man. Yeah, that was in Vegas. What did, what did young Jeremy going to Com, Comtex do in Vegas? Comdex? Um, my, actually, my employer sent me because we were... Did you have to get a, go on Reddit and say, I partied all the, all the way? I only partied to Comdex and now I'm supposed to do a presentation. I don't think there was Reddit back then. Maybe, Yeah. I mean, well, the, the point I'm really trying to make is, did you actually go to the conference or did you spend all your time in Vegas at the, at the casino? No, I went to the conference. It was, it spread, it was spread across lots of different places. Kind of like how Dreamforce is. I and guess. when you go to a conference in Vegas and you're sitting down in the auditorium, is there like a screen in front of you with a slot machine that you can pull? So the whole time you can just gamble? No, they were, I mean, from what I recall, again, this was t over 20, 20 years ago. Um, they were in... You know, it was in. It would be in giant convention rooms, and I think they were part of hotels, but some maybe even also the just the like these convention buildings and nothing but just giant, you know, convention just floors. I guess you know, just type big of thing. open spaces. Yeah, and there was. I don't remember any gambling stuff being in there. Hmm. But of course, I mean, you're every hotel. You just go. You pop up to the to the gaming floor, and it's you know, it's all you can. All do you have can to be eat a certain gambling. age to go to Dreamforce? Like, do you have to be twenty one and older? I don't think so, because I think there was some. Um, I read something about some like and I think I saw this person, but like a like a sixteen year old a golden hoodie MVP. What what does the golden hoodie even mean, John? I have no idea. I don't either. I'm not I'm not golden hoodie material. I guess. <laughs> no, I'm definitely not. But <laughs> yeah, there was I, I, maybe it's like fourteen, like some you know I think high school aged person um, was a golden hoodie MVP and they were there. So, but I do think you're not allowed on the expo floor if you're not old enough not, because to, they do have. <laughs> Free flowing alcohol. You have to be accompanied I, by your guardian. I think so. <laughs> oh, but that, that that begs the question. I mean, can you can you survive in Vegas? Yeah, you can. They've gotten more family friendly at Vegas. 
I think I think Vegas. It's, I mean, Vegas is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, buffets. Pe- right. I hate buffets, by the way, but buffets. Uh, and, dude, they're pretty. They're pretty awesome. I mean, there's some good you know, buffets in Vegas, man. If there's any buffet that I may just like get rid of the rule and go have, it's it's a Vegas buffet. I've yeah. seen. Yeah, I watched. Yeah, so I watch Mikey Chan on YouTube. Okay. I, I've seen his YouTube his uh buffet reviews. I'm like, I that's not bad. You got to know which hotels you got to, but yeah, I mean, the buffets are off the hook, man. Yeah, I mean, you're still gonna get sick. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But that's the thing. It's not the food that makes me sick. It's the knowing that it's open and people can touch it. Oh, yeah, and then seeing the type of people that go there to touch it. <laughs> and then just watching them eat and gorge on that much food. I'm just like. Is that is that technically psychosomatic if you're making yourself sick just by you know yes. mental thing? Is that what that is? Okay. Yeah, I think so. But yeah. It, it really is a, a mental thing. So there's, there's no logic behind it. Anyway, the uh, San Francisco Travel Association says that. Losing open world will cost them $65 million a year, and that Oracle cited San Francisco's high hotel prices and poor street conditions as why they were unhappy with the city. Yeah. You know, or- Oracle is, where are they, Redwood Shores? I can't remember. They're, they're actually in, I believe, in, you know, the, the actual valley, the actual Silicon Valley. Whereas San Francisco, which is where, you know, Salesforce's obvious home is, um, it's really not Silicon Valley. I mean, some people kind of lump it in, but it's really not. It's not Silicon Valley. And people who know what they're talking about, we'll, we'll, make, we'll make that Valley distinction. Two I don't think. I don't think it is. It's not. Well, you've got Twitter. You've got uh, Uber's there. Uh, that, who that, else is there? I don't know. But that doesn't make that doesn't. I mean, it's literally ge- geologically not in the valley. It's not in a valley. <laughs> it's a peninsula. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a valley. Well, Cupertino isn't the valley. It is. is totally it? is. Absolutely is in the valley. It's it's in the heart of the valley, man. Okay, you're right. Never mind. Scratch that. I didn't yeah, say that. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's more Southern, kind of Southern and Southwest. In fact, Cupertino borders, um, what's a um, Ridge, Ridge Winery. Um, we went there a couple years ago and it's up in the mountains right outside of Cupertino, which is cool because when you're driving up, which is, you, know, you see the big saucer. Yeah. You can look down and see like sea apple, for example. In fact, it wasn't even open yet, but it was, it was there. Yeah, I remember you got kicked out. I didn't get kicked out. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> this lady security card comes running out and yelling and pointing her finger. I mean, just so adamantly. I'm just like, oh, I feel so. I feel like a kid and that just did something wrong. Got she caught. was sick of how many people were probably driving oh, up. Gosh, she was sick of I it. I bet. I bet. Yeah. She was not happy with me. But it was cool. It's cool being able to be up in the mountains and mm. looking down, you know, in the valley. It's a nice perspective. Um, anyway, yeah, and there's, you know, this, this, uh, renewed some discussion about Salesforce, you know, moving to Vegas or just, sorry, Dreamforce. I really wish it would. I know, I know they're not going to, I mean, I don't know if it renewed it. It just, everyone was in agreement that it won't happen. Not every, especially um, now. Th- there's actually, I mean, there's some disagreement on whether it even should move. A lot of people, you know, made some interesting arguments on why they like it in San Francisco. Can't be for the money because it costs so much to go. I know. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the. One of the big bummers about it. It's just so well, expensive. Well, it costs so much, and there's just not enough room for everybody. Right. And you and, can barely walk down the street. Yeah. And, and in a street that may or may not have poop on any given block, you kind of want some move, some room to kind of hop and move around. You know what the real problem with the poop at Dreamforce is? <clears throat> the real problem is, is that they clean most of that up, like, before Dreamforce starts. Yeah, they put the facade on. And so it's, it's not too bad. But what that does is, because you walk around for two or three days, you don't see any poop. What it does is it lowers your guard. Oh, um, and then you go to some place that's a little, little more out on the outside. No, it can even be on Market Street. I mean, someone can just take a dump right on Market Street. The problem is, is you already lowered your guard, and you're like not oh. really looking for it anymore. I mean, I, 
came very close a couple of times, like kind of day three or four. <clears throat> yeah. And then also, I'm a fan of buying shoes a month before Dreamforce, wear them so that you can break them in. Just throw them away. And then throw them away. Yeah. <laughs> like go to, go to pay less, yeah. you know, go to some crappy store, get some shoes with some cushioning, wear them so you break them in so you don't hurt your feet. No, in fact, and then don't and throw them away. Just, just as you're leaving San Francisco. Oh, just, donate them. Just, yeah, just yeah. Get, donate them. There you them. go. Yeah. Even better. You know, Mark Benioff should start that. He should start the, you know, everyone buy yourself some poop shoes. Yeah. And then at the end of Dreamforce, before, right before you leave, you know, you're on your Uber, just throw down your window and throw them out to somebody <laughs> on your way to the airport. <laughs> yeah, because you don't want a collection bin because that bin will get funky really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first of all, they're, they're worn shoes, right? Second of all. Yeah, there's stuff on the bottom. Oh my gosh. Hmm. This is going to start. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to start getting phobic again. Yeah, that'd be, that'd but be yeah, great. I don't. I think the San Francisco won't allow Salesforce to leave because that's, I mean, you just said the number oh, right yeah. there, right there. And well, Salesforce that, is, I, I think it got bigger than, than Oracle did. Oh it? yeah. Dreamforce is much, I mean, I think or open world's like 30 or 40,000 people and Dreamforce is, I don't know what the actual numbers are. I mean, Salesforce says that like 170 something thousand. Yeah. They play those numbers. Man, they're good well, they, at numbers. Uh, yeah, they, well, they say that 170,000 like, registered. I don't, you know, whatever. Yeah, they're playing means. the gap and deferred revenue thing with, they are. with they attendance, are. like. This many people registered, this many people are online, but that's all Dreamforce, so that's the number. But I'm, I'm sure it's above 100,000 people actually show up to San Francisco for Dreamforce. So easy 80 to 100 million in revenue for San Francisco. I would if they're so. saying 60 for Oracle. Oh, I, think, I, would, I would think it's... And also, I mean, Salesforce does it up, too. I, I feel like they spend more money than Oracle would. You know, yeah. per, per capita, essentially, you know, per attendee. I bet, I bet Salesforce spends more money. And San Francisco couldn't handle losing a big conference like Salesforce. I mean, if, if you look at places that rely on tourism for their economy, look at your receipt and you'll know. You'll see a bunch of, a lot of, lot of extra taxes that you normally wouldn't see in, say, your local town because you're supplementing the, the local economy sure. with, with being there. Yeah. And so San Francisco, look at your receipt from San Francisco. You see a lot of little extra taxes in there for local you know, provinces <clears throat> and towns and cities and all that kind of stuff. Initiatives and... yeah. You know, whatever. Healthcare. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I was shocked. I was like, oh, yep. I'm paying for my waiter's uh, healthcare here. Exactly. Yeah. They're, 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 San Francisco's weird with taxes. They're, yeah. they're just. Well, I think know, any strange. place that relies on tourism does that. I mean, why wouldn't you? Well, I mean, so doesn't every your city. Your economy's I mean, based on it. For example, and, here, I mean, even, even here in Dallas, I mean, there are, when you, if you rent a car here or stay in a hotel mm -hmm. room here or anything like there are, there are hospitality taxes that are, they don't show up as like an, even an extra line item in a lot of cases. You just, um, and sometimes they might, I think it just depends on the, where you are yeah. and how they, how they, if it's, if it's a tax, it's essentially built into the price, right? Right. But it's one or the other. All right. Yeah. But, it, but yeah, I mean, um, and that's always a debate. It's like, you know, I've, I've heard debates with city of Dallas. I mean, they talk about, they want to raise the hospitality tax because it's a way to get dollars from people who aren't your citizens. They're, they're mm -hmm. out of towners. It's better to get out of towners money, right? Bringing more money into the city yeah. versus just recycling the same money. But the more you raise hospitality taxes, the more you make your city less attractive for conferences and events and things. So right. it's, it's, um, it's almost like factoring in your, you say your annual bonus is part, I mean, a lot of people do factor in your annual bonus as part of your income, but I mean, it's a bonus that you may or may not get. So if you rely on it too heavily and it doesn't come one year, you're kind of in trouble. And, and yeah. that's kind of what's, what San Francisco is doing. I mean, they've, they've gotten really reliant on that tourism dollars and they, they sure. can't afford to lose 
a, right. a, a big conference yeah. like either Oracle or San Francisco. I mean, it would, def- it would definitely Salesforce. hurt. Yeah, it would, it would definitely hurt. I mean, San Francisco's got. I mean, they they have a huge financial industry there. Um, obviously, big tech industry. I mean, I'm I'm sure I know tourism and well, I guess hospitality in general. I mean, it's it's big, and it would it would it would hurt for them to to lose Dreamforce. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, like you know, if, if the week that Dreamforce takes up, if if Salesforce stopped doing it there, I mean, something else would would buy that slot. It would just lower demand for it. So, you know, it might soften prices a little bit. Well, I think the city would hurt quite a bit if, if Salesforce left. Yeah. You mean Dreamforce? Dreamforce okay. left, yeah. yeah. Sorry. I mean, they'd really hurt if Salesforce left. <laughs> we're leaving and we're taking our tower. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's technically not their tower. That's true. It's the Transbay something or another. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, John, uh, we have new release notes. For was it spring twenty? I guess. Yeah, and I haven't read them. <laughs> I I uh, I browsed through a little bit. Yeah. Um. And I yeah. Uh, there's a lot of flow and process builder stuff. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> that I don't understand. Um. You can now uh, with invocable methods, you can do s objects now, generic s objects, which I guess is a big deal. People were very very giddy about that. Okay. So as a argument, you can pass. An S object. I guess. Is that a big deal? I mean, you've done probably more, I think more, a lot more invocable stuff than I have. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a convenience thing for sure. Mm. And I could see the, the desire for it, but I, I, the more I work with interfaces and, and dealing with different contexts, the more I want to control it. And the more I want to be able to define what parameters I'm, I'm allowing. Oh, John, one invocable method to rule them all. You just pass in like <sighs> a generic object and a, a string uh, for what operation you want to be performing. Remember the, uh, the single database table to rule them all? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, I, I don't know if it's just a maturing thing or what, but I just, uh, there was a time where I would have been really excited for that because I love <laughs> passing S objects around. I don't even like passing an S object to to uh, my component UIs or anything. I want to provide. I want to provide a new data structure. Yeah. I've started creating what I called internal internal JSON object classes, which which are what I use to to generate the JSON um, string. If I'm going to pass a JSON string around, which I'm mm-hmm. forced to right now, um, because I want it to have Java like syntax, which means the the camel casing, not proper casing like you do in Apex with proper. At least that's the best practice. Yeah. It's not enforced, but it's the best practice. Other languages enforce that. Apex doesn't. So I have very specific objects that I use to transport those to be able to serialize and deserialize. And also I feel it provides a certain amount of protection because I know exactly what data structure should be coming and what should be going. So I'm able to validate that more effectively versus a general S object, which may have new fields tossed in and other things that I'm not expecting and other things that I should be validating, but I don't know to validate. I I guess if you think about it, it could be a security problem too, uh, in a way. Well, no, because they're forcing you to do all your validation. (laughs) But if you don't know what object you're dealing with, how do you validate it? If you don't, I mean, if it receives an S object, you don't you, know. You know what object. You can do record dot. Oh, I guess get, like get uh, object type. Ref, you know, reflection. <laughs> no. Well, that's what that is. There's no reflection in Salesforce. That's, that's, that's kind of reflective, I no, guess. No, it's not. Okay. Don't even go there. Okay. I won't. Didn't mean to push one of your buttons. Yeah, that's my button. I want reflection. Damn it. <laughs> I want generics and I want reflection. Damn it. Um, let's see. What else? Uh... Permission set groups are going GA. That'll be kind of nice. I think those are useful. Um, yeah, I, I have. I, I think they will be useful, but I, 
I just, it's another layer upon layer. It upon is. Layer. What I really need from Salesforce is, yes, keep doing this. Give us more ways to do this permissioning thing, <clears throat> but please give us a comprehensive view of who has access to what and why. Yes. Like apply all these things and then tell me what the result is. So I can yes. Because yeah. I, it's just a pain. Well, why don't ass. you create that tool and sell it, John? Sell it to Salesforce. That's, no that, one pays for that's how tools. we're going to get rich. No one pays for admin <laughs> tools. And, uh, yeah, no one pays for those. They went on free. Yeah, that's true. No one pays for anything. I pay for my ID. That's true. I just renewed my, 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 my Eliminate Cloud subscription. You know what, mine? And proudly so. Oh, you know what? I, don't, I know my IntelliJ, I think, is at the end of the year, um, yeah. which I may have already done. I'm not sure what my IC. I, they, I don't know. I think he's just got my credit card and just whatever. Yeah, it auto, it auto bills. Yeah. God, I hope, I hope he's taking good care of our credit card numbers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, he goes through a third party. Or do I get billed and then I have, to, I have to manually? I don't know if it stores my number or not. I can't remember. I uh, don't know. I'm not sure. I think mine is, could be through PayPal. I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember. Anyways. Um, okay. Let's see. Um, this is interesting. This, I, this would have been nice for me a few months ago when I totally got bit by the um, number of API requests you can have limit. I thought it was a soft limit. Turns out it was not. Except now with um, Winter 20, that is, let's see. Well, let me read, it, read this. Okay. The default daily API request allocation. I guess that's a fancy word for limit has been raised from 15,000 to 100,000. Going out? So the number of call-outs you can make? No, no, I think it's like if you're calling the REST API, the SOAP API, those are all considered, every connection you make to it or whatever, that's considered an API request. That's odd because that's a calculated number based on users. It so is. There's but, a default amount. Right, there's a default minimum that you get with right. your org, I think, which is was 15,000. And then I think okay. for every user, so it tax more on. And then it multiplies. I yeah. think so. And anyway, that's going, something's going from 15,000 to 100,000. Okay. So I think it's that base value is going yeah. from 15 to 100. Okay. And then it now says you can actually exceed your, this is, and this is what's nice. You can actually exceed your API daily request limit without being blocked. And then it says, but it's subject to system health. So I think as long as the system's not overloaded, they'll let you go, you know, soft over. Okay. Um, it well, doesn't, nice. instead of say there's a, there is a hard cap, but they say it's generous, whatever that means. <laughs> so, yeah. It's like, and that makes sense. I think so. Yeah. yeah, because I have hit that. I have hit that limit. And well, stop spamming the system with your freaking. I hit it. Attacks. I hit it on like one of these over the weekend uh, data loads, mm -hmm. and I couldn't couldn't finish my data. I couldn't finish my data load, and it was one of these you know where just like system conversions where you've got to get it done. You have like forty eight hours, and the clock's ticking. Oh, and you've already messed it and have to back it all out. Yeah, once you've already and... you've already shut down the previous system and everyone's locked out of it and all that kind of stuff, you know, and then you hit an API limit. You're like, crap, did anyone think to check that we were not, you know, exceeding our API request? No. It's just one of those things you you, you should you should know to do, I guess, but it's I don't know. You should have a checklist. I know you should. It should be a part of your best practice. It should be a best practice. Check your limit. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Okay, you can now clone a sandbox that's on a different major release version than your production org. So, you know, you can clone sandboxes, which is a relatively new thing. You can clone yes. an existing sandbox, but you can, I guess you could only clone it if it was on whatever the production release of Salesforce was. If it was on a pre-release, you couldn't clone it. Now you can clone those as well. So that's just a nice... One of those small items in, the, in, a, uh, in, a re in release notes, but one of those days, one of these days, you'll be happy that it's there and you would have bitched if it wasn't. Yeah. You know? Okay. Uh, and the last thing I wrote down was uh, just that whole data masking thing. So when you create sandboxes, you can apply the data mask to if you have certain fields that you would like it to. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, hey, you want to give a sandbox to a contractor or something? I can't or something? say without fumbling, ob 
Obfuscate. Oh, ob- obfuscate? Obfuscate, yeah. That is a weird word, I have to admit. It's hard to say. It's, I mean, it's hard. You have to think about it when you say it. I, I've heard so many different uh, variations <laughs> of that word. <laughs> I think I ended up just saying it too fast, and it comes out obfuscate or something like that. Or obfuscate. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Ob- Isn't there an S between the S, F and F? Obfuscate. No, no, no. no. Obs- yeah, that, that's, that's your problem. You try to put an extra S in it, just, it trips you up. Yeah. I'm, let me. I'm just gotta fact check. Me. Yeah, obfuscate. There's only one S. Yeah, I think I, I think that's my problem. I try to put an extra S in there for some reason. Yeah, it's stuck in my head that way. You have to be specific when you say obfuscate. Yeah, <laughs> and unsafe the syllables. Yep. Anyway, those were the items. Are I'm sure there's a lot more interesting things, but you know. I only had so much time, and then the release notes are quite you only had large. Five minutes before the show, before when you started. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll I'll wait for one of these people to to like write the here's the highlights, <clears throat> and then I'll steal that. And we'll. Talk I've about always that wanted to be one of those people, but I just I can't seem to get through them. It's tough for me to find what I care about and what I don't. They've gotten so big. I, I do val. I do like that they've gotten over the years less corporate-y and more casual with the way they write the notes and the comments they make in it. I. It's at least somewhat entertaining, considering you're reading this a giant document. Yeah, and so I, like the more kind of casual conversational approach to it. And they do a good job of, of putting it things in different categories because you know uh, nowadays there's whether you're just a user of Salesforce, or you're a developer, or you're some kind of consultant. I mean, you're usually you kind of only work in certain parts of the system for the most part. So you can go if you're a developer, for example, you know you go you could go to the automation stuff, or you could go right to like the developer and API type of things, and um, you know kind of go to things that are probably going to be more applicable to you than just But you still have stuff. to you still have to kind of at least glance over the other parts. I feel I like mean. you do. But they you know they do have that list of like here's they have that that giant list I think of here's like all the updates and then it, they're they're um what do you call it? they're high, they're clickable too. So you can like yeah. look at that global list and for something you're interested in, you can click it and navigate down to where it describes it. So I mean they do I mean uh, hey I mean there's, there's they do a pretty good job and you can consume it in different ways depending on how you want to consume it. Yeah, you're still it's just a PDF taking a, it's just downloader, aren't you? I, I, I am, especially with the release notes. I, in fact, I was... You're almost a... You're a collector, too. I'm, you I'm a hoarder. collect all of them. I don't I'm know a, why. I'm a PDF hoarder. You're just hoping for that that one day where they highlight you in Dreamforce. Jeremy Ross downloaded every freaking release note we've ever had. I used to I used you're to think... the golden hoodie for that. Well, so I, I remember... <laughs> <laughs> that's how you get it. <laughs> um, I, now, I, I used to... I remember I would I would notice that the release notes would change. I would down, I, I think I, one time I just randomly, I downloaded the release notes and I was looking at them and a few weeks later I da- downloaded them again, not realizing, not remembering that I had previously downloaded them and I noticed they had a different file size. Mm. When I went to copy it to where I, you know, my special place on my hard drive where I keep release notes. And it's right next to that <laughs> other special folder, isn't it? <laughs> I don't, it's because it's got to be a high capacity storage. I don't know what so. you're talking about, John. <laughs> But uh, you know, I noticed they were different file sizes, and I was like, ah, you know, of course, I'm a conspiracy theorist. I'm like, there's something going on here. But then I realized that Salesforce, they just they often re- well, they, 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 I know. <laughs> well, this I think this is before they. I don't know if they, this is a long time ago. But then, but then I was like, well, gosh, now, now that I know that they they revise these things, I got to make sure I have all revisions. <laughs> I can't just have the latest or the last one. I need to see how this evolves. <laughs> And so, yes, I download all these release notes, and they're stored in this complex hi- folder hierarchy, and I b- 
basically never go back and do all the things that I think I was going to do with them. I'm lucky if you're, I I'm lucky if I read them at all. You're lucky this is all digital, or you'd be that old guy that that hoards like newspapers oh, yeah. and ends up getting killed because they fell over on them. I remember this is I was really little, but we had a neighbor who their entire two car garage was basically floor to ceiling newspapers, newspapers. Nothing like a good fire fire hazard. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that would. Oh my gosh, can you imagine that? That's a lot of fuel. Yeah. Anyway, all right, John. Well, what else is on your mind for this week? We do have a community topic. Okay, let's do that. Nothing serious, though. It's kind of more of a what-if scenario. But I think we kind of covered it before on the show a couple of times. But the question is, uh, and we can use our name, uh, Cynthia Thomas. She wants to know, uh, I would love to hear your thought process of it. Oh, sorry. I copied this from Slack, so we were chatting. So, what if Salesforce acquires or merges with SAP? Uh, not that I think that will happen, but what would happen if it did? So it's kind of more of a what-if scenario. We know that SAP's really been gunning for Salesforce. Um, in fact, I think some articles try to credit their 360 initiative with the shot that SAP took at them, I think it was last year mm, or earlier yeah. this year, with yeah. the whole, where the whole end-to-end solution, Salesforce can only do CRM. Yep. Um, <clears throat> what would happen? I would say for quite a while, it would not affect most of us that much. Um, Salesforce can't even manage to integrate its own acquisitions. I mean, in Salesforce, if you think of it now, it's, it's Salesforce is a, it's almost like an aggregator of companies and products. Yeah, they build stuff internally mm-hmm. still, but they sure do buy a lot of stuff. Um, so they're, I, feel, I, feel, I view them as almost like an aggregator, like a, um, a holding company in a, in a way. Well, I mean, Oracle's not too, too, too different from that. Agree. I'm just making the point that if another aggregator were to buy this aggregator, I mean, there's no way in hell they're going to they're going to integrate Salesforce into SAP in any kind of like in any kind of timeline that's then less than like a ten year timeline. Yeah, I mean, the Salesforce products would stay separate, more separate than even Marketing Cloud is still separate from Sales Cloud. <laughs> um, so, do you think it would be a kind of a stagnation of the product for a while? I don't think so. No, no. Nope. I would, you know, SAP would become the owner of it, but I think Salesforce would still operate. Like a relatively independent company. Just like in a way that Tableau is still, that's probably not a great example because Tableau will eventually get more integrated. But for the time being, they're kind of still operating just as its own company. I don't know, I don't know about that. That's what they said. I'm just. just I think MuleSoft will, will maintain its, its somewhat independence. And I, I think Tableau, because of the type of product it is, will also maintain some. Yeah, sense because of both of them have a lot of the revenues tied to. N- non-Salesforce things and things that are almost competitive or hostile to Salesforce. So if they want to keep all that revenue, they need to re- reassure those customers that their products are not becoming, you know, Salesforce hostile or whatever. Right. You're not going to have to buy a Salesforce license to use MuleSoft, in other words. Yeah, exactly. Well, or, I think more know. so the sales cycles are different. Like, you don't, you normally go to Salesforce and you get the spiel, okay, you need this, you need to have the, here's your requirements. Now you get this product, this product, this product, check all the boxes. So, I think MuleSoft has its own sales cycle. I think that's what's really important yeah. is lead gen and sales cycles. So imagine, and I, I don't know what the details are, who, who MuleSoft's customers are, but let's say that SAP, just as an, as an example, we you know, SAP is one. Let's say that SAP was a big, um, they had been uh, building, you know, they, uh, their you know services practice or whatever was using a lot of MuleSoft as a part of their and you know and selling it and using it in their delivery of services and and SAP's customers were buying MuleSoft to do a lot of integration and stuff. Well, now that sales now that Salesforce owns MuleSoft, which is just you know 
direct competitor with SAP. I mean, is that is that a problem? Should we do we need to find another solution besides Millsoft now? And obviously, I, I mean, the problem that, exists either way. It does. I'm just saying they don't. Is. I'm just saying it does. But I'm saying they don't want to. No one wants to lose that revenue. Millsoft yeah. doesn't want to lose it. Salesforce doesn't want to lose it. I mean, it's like saying. I'm not going to ever consume any Disney product ever, and yet you're going down to watch your latest Marvel movie. It's just hard to avoid. Uh, yeah, it it is. Well, you can avoid. I mean, you get like a you know whatever one of the other things, Informatica or Boomi or whatever. But you want some reassurance that MuleSoft isn't going to do anything that makes the SAP aspect of MuleSoft a second class citizen. Sure. So. Yeah, so back to the question from Cynthia. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I mean, at this point I, with the size of Salesforce, do you think it's more, it, hypothetically, as a what-if scenario, do you think it's more likely that it would be considered a merger versus an acquisition? I don't know that, I mean, SAP's got a lot of money, but I don't know if they've got that much money to blow on Salesforce. Like, Salesforce right now is too big to buy. Yeah, um, I don't know. And, and a lot of times in these things, whether it's, technically a merger or an acquisition it's first of all it's it's always technically an acquisition some company buys another company's stock um how they choose to treat it operationally is a you know when you know, what they just you know who who becomes whose boss that's that's uh up to you know the, the joint companies to figure out how they're going to handle that yeah, I mean, I do think of it as, as a logistic issue, but I, I guess I'm thinking more of the logistics of we're merging because we're going to keep the SAP name, but Benioff is going to be the new head type situation of SAP. Right. So, so I just looked at SAP. Supposedly their their 2018 revenue was $25 billion. It looks like this is euros. Um, is the euro still up on the dollar? A little bit. Yeah. So yeah. that's, call it, let's call it $30 billion. So... They're still bigger than Salesforce, but not by a ton. I mean, they have 96,000 employees. I think Salesforce has a lot more than that now. Doesn't Salesforce have more employees than that? Uh, probably. Aren't they over? Uh, maybe they're not, actually. I, I forget. Salesforce.com um, employs 35,000 as of... Oh, that's wrong. I think it's double that. Um, well, they've got like 5 billion developers, so they've got to have more employees, right? Yeah, SAP may be there. They may be double. I mean, again, I'm looking. I'm actually just looking at Wikipedia here, but they're it says they're they're 2019. I don't know if that's fiscal year or what, but revenue was 13 billion. So they're they're probably still. I mean, they could buy Salesforce, I guess. Um, I don't know. I don't. I say I don't think Salesforce would sell, but you know, who knows? You want to be some giant, you know, tech conglomerate to compete with like something the size of IBM or Microsoft, then. It's a strategy, but I think I think a lot of us would be fine at least for several years before you'd start to see too much of a shakeup. Do you think it'd be more likely in terms of culture that SAP would inherit Salesforce culture or vice versa? You know, they both have proprietary languages too. I know. God, in fact, every time I think of Apex and just uh, and just this proprietary <laughs> stuff and the stuff we're done with logs and all this, and I'm just like, it reminds me so much of. I used to know these guys who were um, SAP. What's it? A A ABAP or whatever. They. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's a language or a platform. I don't even know what that is. But you know, they would always complain about just so. minion language. It's how is it? Well, minion language is a mixture of all languages. Okay. In SAP, you get English and German. Oh. German. Yeah. English and German. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, you're right. It's just a, a lot more proprietary stuff to to learn. <laughs> uh, yeah. Talk I about upping your proprietary game. You have you to know, learn a new language too. I bet, I bet with SAP you can get logs. 
I bet you. So maybe that'd be, that'd be one benefit to us. Well, because they're on prem mostly. <laughs> oh, it's I only think, it's only a recent know. transition to to the cloud. Well, so the, so some of that stuff I think they may do a lot be carried of, over. Cloud down. Yeah. Like your access to certain things. And uh, SAP is also they've always they've been a big like especially if they if their cloud is virtualized, not not um uh, what do you call it multi tenant. Yeah. Not what's the other what's the multi, and uh, what's the what's the the guy the, the was it the Pega guy that made this distinction? He said we're not multi tenant, we're multi, um, crap, multi instance. Maybe that's what it was. I can't remember. He had some term. I was like, ah, oh, that's interesting. Is that another way of saying virtualized? Or I'm making up the word virtualized. I might be making that up. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. it's I think for the most part, not multi tenant. Yeah, but there's some other like Netscape, at least. As far as I know, still runs separate instances. So they're virtual. NetSuite virtual or Netscape? NetSuite. Did okay. I say Netscape? Yep. NetSuite. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Anyway. Well, Nets, Netscape was too. It was a separate instance on everyone's machines. Net, well, okay. <laughs> oh, all right, John. Well, we're uh, past an hour here. We probably should go ahead and say, get leave our holiday greeting. So we'll take this opportunity to say Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy New Year. Who are we leaving out, John? Oh, I'm sure. Happy sit at home and do nothing if you don't participate in any of these things. Enjoy or, your net, enjoy your Netflix or happy working. Like you'll be doing. <clears throat> that's true. Happy, uh, yeah, happy capitalism. Is there stuff to still watch on Netflix? I find myself watching less and less Netflix these days. There's I, there's a ton of stuff I still have not even got to. Just and, shows. That... And I I hate this, but this ha- this is happening with all these streaming services. I am now paying monthly charges to watch one show. On Hulu, I was paying to watch one show. Yep. Netflix, uh, maybe multi-shows. Disney Plus, only watching one show. Um, I mean, how many HBO subscriptions do you think existed for Game of Thrones? That's for Sopranos. You know, it, it's, that's why you create, that's why, you know, you try to have these shows to, in the hopes that you'll get one of these blockbusters that results in massive subscriptions. Yeah. It sucks. That's why, you know. The- I think my favorite <laughs> meme was, is, the, is the Star Wars meme. That says you're supposed to fight the cable companies, and not join them, and it's the whole um, Obi Wan and and Anakin meme. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it's, it's mm. yeah. At the, at the new house, um, we I've already I've already made the rule that we are because we currently have a Directv, you know, satellite. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we are not putting a satellite on the new house. It's if it can't come over the internet, we're not going to get it. I still have a dish on my freaking fire. What do they call it? Chimney. Chimney. <laughs> <laughs> on the chimney I get, I'd love to get rid of it but that means I have to get up on the roof yeah you may also have to make sure you seal the holes too after you yeah, take that out I, don't I know. got a lot of I got a lot of that to do yeah apparently someone just went crazy and drilled a bunch of holes in her <laughs> I had to replace a brick in my, on my front yeah. porch did you get it to match no mm-hmm. but I'm going to um, I'm going to go buy some I guess grout kind of color sealer you know if you can if you seal your grout you can you can there's an option. You can get color uh, sealer. Do you, which, your, do you still have the brick, the brick that you replaced? The actual brick? Yeah. It's, it was broken, but no, I threw it away. It's oh, not. Oh, oh, the it. brick matched. No, the brick matched. Oh, okay. But the grout is what's difficult. Because mortar, I, I what's think it called? I heard mortar? That if you're going to replace a brick, keep the old one because you can crush it and use it to color. Oh, really? Yeah, to oh. color like some kind of paint or some okay. kind of thing that you can put over it that helps, helps it match. Wow. Now we, we have extra bricks still. Oh, okay. that's nice. Yep. So, anyway. All right, everyone. Well, uh, yeah. Enjoy your uh, holidays and make sure you tell your friends about us. 
and your enemies and uh, yeah. join our slack we didn't talk about you know that but yeah we have we have a slack where i mean we're we're edging towards a thousand in the slack here um so if you uh, dear listener if you have not joined our slack please check it out you can go to gooddayserpodcast.com click on community and you can uh, you can get in that way or you can just have someone else who's already in add you apparently that's a new thing um we do have uh, you can uh, be like Cynthia and send us an email at info at goodacerpodcast.com uh, with your community topics or you know that's what we call it community topics topics that are submitted from the community but you can also just if you have questions for us or any feedback or if you want to try to sell us uh, ads which we will not indulge but whatever it still happens <laughs> that's how, that's where you do it and that's all I got well technically that was a DM on Slack so you can do that too what was it oh she DM'd us yeah okay yeah whatever whatever works there's many, many methods. Too many methods. <laughs> oh, and to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.